0: Seven responding, ten thirty-nine. This is Over the Horizon and Far Away. Hello, hello. We are so excited
1: you guys found us for another week. Welcome back to Over the Horizon and Far Away, a true crime podcast that covers cases of the missing and murdered that did not get the media attention they
0: deserved. Today, I will be sharing the story of Deshawn McCormick. Now, I do want to give you guys a quick trigger warning before we get started. This episode contains discussion of child abuse and domestic violence. Viewer discretion is advised for those sensitive to the topic. Now, to start out, I just want to give you guys a little bit more information about Deshaun McCormick. Now, he was only five years old when he was last seen, but it would appear that in those five years, he may have lived a life full of instability and chaos. What is really sad is that I was only able to find a handful of news articles covering Deshaun's case. And even sadder, there was not a single mention of like um, the characteristics that family members typically talk about when a loved one goes missing. So I didn't find anything that was like, he was a happy kid or he loved trades or like anything like that, which is like so heartbreaking to me.
1: That's heartbreaking and just so odd because all kids that age have like something they're fixated on. So you think there'd be something.
0: Yeah. By the time you're five, like your personalities really come out and like, yeah, you definitely have developed interests. You're talking like, yeah, it's really heartbreaking that there was none of that in the articles I was able to find. Mm hmm. Now, Deshawn's story actually takes place in Alaska. It is reported that he was living in Anchorage at the time he disappeared, which is the largest city in the south central part of the state on the Cook Inlet. It has a population of approximately 288,000 people as of 2021, which like kind of shocked me actually, to be honest. Like, yeah, that's not a number that
1: comes to my mind when I think of anywhere in Alaska.
0: No, and I I do think that Anchorage is like the biggest city in Alaska, for sure, because I know it's kind of the hub. I know that's kind of where like the big international airport is and stuff like that. But yeah, that just seemed like I would expect half of that in like the entire state. Right. (laughs) Much less double that in one little city. Exactly. But yeah, so that was kind of shocking. But Now, the city is also a gateway to nearby wilderness areas and mountains, including... And you guys, I'm going to do my best here, but chances are I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize ahead of time. Chugit, Kenai, and Talkeetna. Those last two I'm pretty confident in. Now, it's also mentioned that Deshawn has ties to the Matsu Valley. Now, the Matsu is actually an abbreviation. And again, you guys, I'm going to do my best here for the Matanuska Sustana Valley. Don't laugh at me. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> Which sprawls across 23,000 square miles and is primarily wilderness with minimal development. Sounds like a cool place to explore. Oh, for sure. But, you know, we what you're going to hear this come up. But I don't really love wooded areas. It's just a, a red flag. We don't need them. Get rid of it all. Take out the whole state of Alaska. We need to be able to look across the entire thing. <laughs> now. Uh, the Matsu Valley is located 35 miles north of Alaska and um, can be easily accessed by, or I apologize, uh, 35 miles north of Anchorage. I was looking at that and thinking, but it is in Alaska. <laughs> you guys, it's late. We've been recording all night. <laughs> all week. All week. All night. Yeah. Late nights all week. And um, the Matsu Valley can be accessed by car or the Alaska Railway. As of the 2020 census, the population of the Matsu Valley was just over 107,000 people, which again just feels like a lot to me.
1: Yeah, I imagine Alaska as like tiny little cute little villages with moose in them, not anywhere with 107,000 people, nowhere near the triple digits anywhere.
0: Yeah, definitely not. Um now you guys actually be sure to stick around until the end because I did look up crime stats for Alaska. And it is truly wild, you guys. Now, Deshawn's last date of contact is reported as being April 1st of 2013. However, it is likely that he could have disappeared sooner than that. Now, some important people to the story include Deshawn's mother, Jasmine McCormick, his father, Floyd Leroy Lee Jr., say that five times fast, and his father's girlfriend, Mary Elizabeth Transky. Now, in Deshawn's early life, his parents were in a relationship and appeared to live together. However, it seems during that time, the household may have been very chaotic and there may have been domestic violence happening within the home. Now, per an article done by Investigation Discovery, Jasmine actually uh, reports, I had to make a choice to stay and die or lose a child and leave and get the other children out of there. I wanted to take Deshawn with me, but I would have been put in prison. Floyd had full custody. My son couldn't leave the state.
1: That is a horrifying position to be in. The fact that she was even able to articulate that that's the thought process she had. Like, wow.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel like that puts it into perspective that she was kind of between a rock and a hard place. Like, as a mother, you would never want to leave any of your kids behind. But I guess, do you sacrifice one to save the others, or are you willing to sacrifice all of them? Like, it's really a tough position. I couldn't imagine, but I just feel like there's more to unpack there because like you guys were together. So why did he have full custody or like, that's the impression I got from the articles. So I just want more information on like what that situation really looked like and how did he end up with full custody? Now I did get some more research in, and again, it's not going to be very clear, but It would appear from the news articles that Jasmine had actually given Floyd full custody. And literally all I could find out about that was um, Jasmine was dealing with issues of her own. But again, I have no idea what those were, which is very, very frustrating because I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Now, it looks like she came to the decision to give him full custody um, in 2012. And I have like a hard time with that if he was... You know, so violent that she felt like if she stayed, something severe was going to happen. Um, yeah, death. Like that's a severe, yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know. Again, it's like that rock in the hard place thing. I just, oh, I don't know. I just wish I knew more so I could better understand what was going on at that point in time. Now, according to Alaska News Source, there were several domestic violence protective orders filed by both parents. In 2009 and 2010, some of these were granted, but others were not. And so, again, like there's just more puzzle pieces to the story that we just don't have. But at this point, Jasmine has taken her other children and relocated to the Lower 48, while Deshawn is left behind with his father. Let's fast forward a little. It is reported that Jasmine had contact with Deshawn in spring of 2013, but then. Um, Not long after, the FBI actually arrived at the home Floyd and Mary shared and arrested them on securities and mail fraud. At this point, Deshawn should have been in the home as well as Mary's two children. However, authorities found no indication Deshawn was there, though Mary's children were there. This is a huge red flag for me that they could not find anything in that home that indicated he was even living there.
1: Yeah, that's like beyond strange. No indication that he was there. So all of his stuff was gone. Pictures, everything just gone. That's definitely the impression I got from the articles, which
0: is wild.
1: Oh my God. Five olds have like toys and clothes and socks scattered everywhere and they found nothing. That's insane.
0: Yeah. Now, I think we're all immediately thinking kind of the same thing. Like, what did Floyd and Mary do to little Deshaun? Truthfully, not a lot of information is available on the investigation into Floyd and Mary. According to news articles, they're cooperating with law enforcement, but also have been unable to provide any useful information regarding Deshaun's whereabouts. Now, it is noted that in one article that police refused to say whether Floyd was a suspect or not, And I did find that interesting. Like at the end of the day, he is the person responsible for this child. So it's up to him to know where Deshaun is. So this is just like way too sketchy for me. And I just am thinking like, how can you not, I mean, you cannot present this child. So how is that not a problem? Like, how do we not have a criminal charge for that when you, when your child just is missing, you've made no report that the child's missing. You can't tell anybody where the child, like, How, what is going on here? This is wild to me. Yeah. Now, um, from what I can see, like Jasmine has been the only one in the media trying to keep light on Deshaun's case. Um, His dad was nowhere to be found. Like, nowhere. I have not seen a single article where Floyd was like, help me find my son or anything. Not even like a, it wasn't me article. Like, he just is out of the spotlight completely. Now, Jasmine was able to go and get an order granting her full custody of Deshaun, but of course, we have not located him, so, you know, she obviously can't, like, take physical custody of him. Now, it does look like multiple agencies have assisted in locating him. Looks like Anchorage Police, FBI, and police departments within the lower 48 have all played a part in this investigation. From what I was able to see, Deshawn did have other family members in the lower 48, so they were, of course, investigated as well. Speaking of Floyd, let's talk about what I was able to find out on him, as well as his girlfriend, Mary. So let's talk about their arrest that led to the discovery that Deshawn was missing. So they were actually arrested on federal charges, and these charges resulted from an investigation into an investment fraud scheme that happened from 2011 to 2012. They had an investment firm called Platinum Investments, Inc., which was based in Anchorage. Now, Floyd and Mary um, were then able to convince people to invest in this company. It's reported that they collected the funds between September of 2011 and March of 2012 and had collected approximately $63,000. Now, I'm sure you can guess what they did with the funds. They, of course, did not reinvest them like an investment firm would. They used them for their own personal expenses and benefit. They were each charged with one count of securities fraud. Lee was also the lucky winner of one count of mail fraud as well. Now they both did end up pleading guilty and Floyd was sentenced to 37 months in prison and married to 21 months. Did
1: they not think that people were going to come back and ask about their money? Like, I don't know what the long-term plan could have possibly been there.
0: Yeah, you know, it only lasted six months. We are going to get into how they were caught kind of as we go on. But no, I don't think it was a well thought out plan at all. No, people are going to look for their money. Like, and people are going to look for their child.
1: Like, it's like they just don't think anything through at all.
0: Nope. Now, another interesting development that I wasn't expecting, but also really just did not surprise me, is that Floyd and Mary were involved with the Office of Children's Services and would go on to allegedly make poor, more additional poor choices regarding this. Now, because they were on public assistance, the family was assigned a caseworker with the family's first program, which is designed to help people get into the workforce, ultimately limiting their dependence on public assistance. The worker assigned to work with the family, her name is Lisa Carpenter, and she actually filed a lawsuit against the state of Alaska. Now, in this lawsuit, it cites that Floyd and Mary made numerous allegations to the level of harassment towards Lisa, and the state failed to protect her. This harassment included um, includes false reports of Lisa assaulting two people and their children, that she was embezzling money, that she was abusing animals, that she was a liar, and that she was impersonating an employee for the Office of Children's Services. It is also alleged that Floyd and Mary posted numerous Craigslist ads, sending people to Lisa's home for all kinds of reasons, from something as simple as they were going to purchase a child's toy to um, referencing that she would be providing sexual favors.
1: They made this woman's life a living hell, and she was trying to help them.
0: Yeah, yep. Now, it is also alleged that this harassment continued even after she left the state in her position. Now, this harassment was so severe that she did end up moving out of state and back to the lower 48. Carpenter is actually the person that alerted authorities to the fact that this Platinum's investments, they had a website that looked completely fake, like not at all legitimate. Now, Lisa believes that Floyd and Mary targeted her due to a custody hearing involving their children. Floyd and Mary even made accusations against Lisa that she had abused their child on numerous occasions. However, these accusations were proven to be false. They were like super outlandish. Um, They didn't get into like the specifics of what the allegations were like, Oh, she beat him or she did this or whatever. Um, But they did say like one in particular that was referenced in the research was that they said that, you know, Lisa had harmed their child on this specific date, but on that specific date, she was actually in surgery. Oh, my God. So it was just wild accusations that they were just pulling out of nowhere and hoping they would stick. I can see why she filed
1: that lawsuit against the state of Alaska, though, because it seems like this was going on for so long and got so severe and there may not have been much at all to protect her.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, according to the Anchorage Press, Lisa also worked with a mother of Floyd's children. Now, it's unclear who that is, but I do wonder if it was possibly Jasmine. But it is possible that he, of course, has like other children with other women. But she mentioned that a major barrier to employment for this woman was Floyd's abuse of her. It was actually noted in the article that he had other domestic violence arrests. So just keep that in mind because it's actually going to come up again. Now, I did pull the court documents that were available for Floyd and learned that as part of his plea deal, he also needed to pay restitution. And the amount of... And this one I, like, specifically went out because I just feel like it really speaks to his character. So, one... He ended up having to pay a ton of restitution. But one amount in particular was $5,958. And this woman was specifically listed outside of all the other people that had donated money. And that's because, like, she she was on Social Security. And he, like, specifically targeted her because she was vulnerable.
1: That is awful. It seems like him and this woman of his like they just take advantage of people with no regard at all they just don't care about anyone else's life and only
0: theirs oh absolutely and you guys know that I love reading court stuff especially when they do this like um I will tell you in one of the court documents regarding his sentencing, like they were calling him out on this kind of stuff and so that's why I thought I'm gonna mention this because the state was not having his crap at all
1: good he's Crazy.
0: Now, according to the sen- sentencing memorandum, the prosecutors actually recommended 37 months in prison with three years of supervised release to follow, the, to follow and then restitution in the, the amount of $68,931.34. Now, the best part of this sen- sentencing memorandum and why I like them so much is because they gather a ton of background information. And this one did not disappoint. So these two felonies are actually his third and fourth felony convictions, and the memorandum references that he has numerous misdemeanor convictions. It actually notes in this document that Floyd has a, quote, disturbing pattern of violent assaults and thefts, end quote. It goes on to note that Floyd, quote, has a very disturbing history of abusing the judicial system through repeated filings of domestic violence restraining order petitions, end quote. So that tells me that he likely filed all kinds of DV-related restraining orders to include his children in an effort to control the women in his life. According to the judgment, he was sentenced to the 37 months on each charge to run concurrently. So he could serve one 37-month sentence and it would count towards his time for both charges instead of having to serve two back-to-back 37-month sentences. Now, I actually always hate when judges do this because I just feel like people aren't serving like the time that they earned. Additionally, the judge did give him three years of the supervised release following serving his prison time and did grant the previously mentioned restitution. He also received a fine and had to pay for his assessments for sentencing, Interestingly enough, they did want all of the money owed for the fines, assessments, and restitution in one payment. When I read that, I had to like just laugh to myself because like most people do not have $70,000 just laying around. So I'm not sure why they did that or did it that way, but whatever. (laughs) The judge did approve garnishment of his prison income as well. So that's great because that means he earns any prison income and usually if anybody puts like money on somebody's books that money can also be garnished
1: so i really like that because it seems like in the past he's just done all these different things to try to harass people intimidate people abuse the system to get what he wants and now the judge is like nope you're not escaping this this is happening and it needs to happen
0: i agree absolutely
1: like he's facing some consequences that he can't really escape
0: finally finally now it would appear that he was briefly revoked and an arrest warrant was issued for him because he failed to pay that restitution uh he was briefly incarcerated but ultimately ended up being released uh when he then he was released from supervised uh release or that probation as of january 3rd of 2019 then it does look like there was a filing in april of 2019 regarding him continuing to not pay the restitution. Uh, But the last court document available, or that was the last court document available for me to read. So I'm not really sure kind of what has happened since then.
1: I guess I spoke too soon.
0: (laughs) Right. And like, I mean, let's be realistic. I think restitution is one of those things where I feel like most people never pay it back. Um, I think people are really lucky if we see that happen. Because um, typically that restitution does go to, you know, victims or whatever. And so um, it's you're typically a lucky one if you get anything from the restitution owed to you. So in fact, I don't think I've ever heard of a single person paying off unless it was like a really small amount. Now, what did surprise me um, is that this was Floyd's only federal case, actually um that i could find which means that his other charges were handled like at the state level and those records just aren't readily available via the online database which is a bummer i wish we could get on like one why can't everybody use pacer cuz it's truly a great system
1: that's interesting to me cuz it seems like a lot of his crimes are financial so i'm surprised that he doesn't have more federal type charges
0: yeah you know it's so interesting because i don't know a lot of about the financial crimes and stuff and what's what makes it a state level crime versus a federal level crime like I wonder if it's maybe the amount of theft or something like that would maybe change it over to federal jurisdiction I don't know it's hard to know maybe somebody with some knowledge there could help us out because it's (laughs) I don't know
1: I don't know maybe it's just like in my like this is something I imagined but in my mind I think when I think white collar crime I think the feds are coming for you so that's kind of where I drew that conclusion I could be completely wrong but that's kind of I guess where my mind went
0: yeah no I totally get that yeah I I feel like it's gotta be because otherwise like what else would set it apart um maybe because it's like a wire fraud situation versus like oh I stole somebody's checks Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, really interesting. I would be fascinated to know. So if anybody knows, definitely let us know on the socials. Now, I was able to pull the records on Mary, primarily because I just wanted to know more background information on her. Um, I don't doubt that she likely knows something about where Deshaun is. One very telling thing mentioned in her sentencing memorandum is that she was, quote, clearly subordinate to Mr. Lee, end quote. I think this, again, speaks to the violent nature that Floyd has and how he has used that to, like, control the people around him. Additionally, she also had a criminal record, though hers is um, nonviolent. According to the federal court documents, this new criminal charge was her third felony fraud or theft-related conviction. It was also noted that she was abusing the judicial system by filing domestic violence-related protection orders. Uh, She was, she's not been um, any more productive in paying her restitution, um, which no surprise there again, you guys, I feel like people just don't ever pay it or they don't ever have the ability to pay it. Um, But I did see that her tax returns and her Alaska permanent resident dividend payments were intercepted to pay some of that restitution. Uh, Oh, good. Yeah, I was definitely happy to see that. And I hope... I mean, part of that is you have to file for those things. So maybe Floyd just didn't do that. And that's why there's they weren't able to get that on him. But in taxes are kind of one of those things we know that people will try to work under the table and stuff like that for lots of different reasons. But I would have thought that maybe he would want the that resident the resident dividend. So I was kind of interested to, or it intrigued me that he didn't or it wasn't intercepted for some reason.
1: Yeah, I was wondering why that same thing didn't happen to him.
0: Yeah, and again, like, ever, like her or his court documents, like, it kind of stopped after April 2019-ish. So then it was like, maybe it did happen later on, but for whatever reason, those documents aren't available on PACER. Now, I was able to find some social media pages for Deshaun. Uh, there is one Facebook page titled Deshaun McCormick and appears to be run by his maternal grandmother. Uh, There is a page titled, Help Find Deshaun McCormick as well, and that one appears to maybe be run by his mother. And then finally, there is a page titled, Bring Home Deshaun Leon McCormick. But that one kind of seems to be like an older page that hasn't been kept up with. Now, on the pages run by his mother and his grandmother, I did note that they both seem to be kind of overrun with like game ads, like meme-type posts, inspirational quotes... Uh, However, I did see some more posts regarding Deshaun on his mother's page for him. Um, I did reach out to both to introduce myself in the podcast and see if anybody was willing to provide any information or updates. Um, I did get a response from his mother or from the page that I believe is run by his mother that she would check out the podcast. Uh, But that is the last that I heard of her. Um, She hasn't reached back out. I don't want to put like I don't want families do feel like we're just bugging them and so I feel like we've introduced ourselves we're saying hey we want to cover this story we would love for you to be a part of it and then we kind of just leave it in their ballpark on whether they're wanting to participate or not so at this time I'm assuming that she's not interested in participating so I which just do- fine yeah yeah it totally is like I mean everybody's in a different place in their healing and whatever and that's certainly not for us to judge yeah so I did do a bit of looking into some different crime stats. I was actually prompted to do this because while trying to dig up information on Floyd, a headline actually caught my attention. And that headline was that Alaska was a safe haven for sexual predators. Now we really oh, have God right. Yeah. that's Jeez. exactly why i was like oh my gosh i have to dig more into this what what in the world
1: <laughs> that's, all, that's the worst headline that i could ever think to have ever been attached to a state i can't think of anything worse
0: right but it did exactly what i'm sure they were hoping it would do is catch somebody's attention and make them like read it right yeah so Even though we really don't have any idea what um, happened to Deshawn, we really can only speculate. But I do think that it is a possibility that Floyd and or Mary could have done something to harm Deshawn. We we know that Floyd had a violent nature. Another possibility is I think that it's also very possible that in their desire for money, Floyd and or Mary could have trafficked Deshawn and sold him to the highest bidder. Which is like so heartbreaking to even think about. But back to those Alaska crime stats, you guys. So in 2018, there were just over 6,500 violent crimes reported. Of those, 47 reports were for murder or non-negligent manslaughter. Um, almost 1,200 reports were for rape. Uh, almost 900 were for robbery. And then almost 4,400 were for aggravated assault.
1: That's a I, ton of rape
0: reports. Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, like, I don't know, the murder reports felt really low to me. And I just, I don't know why. Like, I guess I'm glad people aren't just being murdered at alarming rates. But I just felt like maybe that was going to be higher than it was for some reason.
1: I mean, yeah, you'd think so. But yeah, you're right. I just cannot believe that there are that many reports for rape that seems really high
0: yeah yep now I also did take a look at the sex offender registry for Alaska as well and in Anchorage Alaska which is where Deshawn went missing from there were almost 1400 people on the registry just for Anchorage alone that is not the entire state of Alaska that is just Anchorage Alaska which is so many people
1: Yeah, the headline didn't lie. That's a horrifying amount of, yeah, they've just got to go.
0: Yeah, well, it's so funny because um, I feel like Alaska has this reputation where people, if you're running from something, Alaska is where you go because it's like a good hiding place. And so I um, see that. Yeah, so I think unfortunately, I think our crime stats are reflecting that clearly our sex offender registry is reflecting that like, oh. It's just scary. Now, that was a lot of information, and I do not want Deshaun to get lost in all of that. We need to remember that there is still a child missing in all of this. Now, according to Namus, Deshaun was just five years old when he went missing. Today, he would be 16 years old. At the time he went missing, he was just three foot six inches tall and about 45 pounds. He has a U-shaped scar on the center of his forehead. Uh, He is half white and half black, so he does have um, the caramel skin tone with blonde hair that has the African-American texture to it. He has brown eyes as well. We will share his original missing persons poster as well as the age progression photos that the National Center for Missing and Endangered Children have released over the years. Someone knows something. So if you have any information regarding the disappearance of Deshawn McCormick, please contact the Anchorage Police Department at 907-786-8900. Domestic violence and child abuse and neglect are sadly very common occurrences and often go hand in hand. If you or somebody you know are a victim of domestic violence, help and resources are available. You can contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 or you can text START to 88788. Child Help is a national nonprofit organization dedicated to helping the victims of child abuse and neglect. The Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline is 1-800-4-A-CHILD. So that's going to be 1-800, the number 4, and then A-CHILD. And this hotline actually operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and can receive calls from the U.S., Canada, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, and Guam.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find the source material in the show notes. To show your support, please give us a review on the platform you're listening on. This is the best way to support us, and this is what pushes our podcast out to new listeners.
0: You can subscribe on Patreon. We are on Patreon as Over the Horizon and Far Away. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Over the Horizon and Far Away. If you would like to submit a case for us to cover, you can email us at overthehorizonandfaraway at gmail.com. Or you can find our case submission form on any of our socials. We will see you guys next week. Bye!